to get a little drink real quick. Good morning, church. Thank you for joining us online. It's great to be with you today. Hope everything's going well with all of you. Uh, we're starting our brand new sermon series, uh, Christmas series, called The Wonders of Christmas Today. And uh, I've titled this message this morning, The Greatest Gift of All. How many remember going back to the time when you were a kid, remembering uh, having a gift that you wanted so bad, I'd almost say you were desperate for it. Maybe you told your mom and dad maybe months in advance what you wanted for Christmas or Maybe you sat on Santa's lap at the mall and told him, I want this for Christmas, and you're really desperate for that Christmas gift. Well, one of my favorite Christmas gifts, and kind of was like that, was a BB gun. I wanted to have a BB gun. Well, one Christmas, I got a BB gun, but it came with the warning from my parents, like all parents, don't shoot your eye out. Remember those warnings? Or don't shoot your brother's eye out. Well, all the uh, other guys in my neighborhood already had BB guns, and safety's a priority, so we made up a rule that you... You could only aim at each other from the waist down. Let me just say, didn't turn out to be such a great idea at all. But as I was working on this message, I asked my wife, Cheryl, what her favorite Christmas gift was. She thought about it, and she said, well, it had to be when I was 15 years old. I wanted a horse. And she had begged her parents for it, her grandparents for it, with, uh, uh, without any luck. She didn't have a horse. Uh, but one particular Christmas, uh, when she was 15 years old, um, she was opening presents like the rest of them and got through with it and was kind of disappointed. No horse again. And then her mother hands her a, a brown paper sack. She opens it up and there was a little note in the bottom of that sack that said, look outside. Well, she jumps out of her chair through the front door open and lo and behold, tied to a tree in the front yard was a horse. I'm thinking, that's a pretty big gift, pretty awesome gift. But then she told me about another time that she was wanting something else special for Christmas a few years earlier, and I thought when she told me this story, now this is a story we can all relate to. When she was 12 years old, she talked about how uh, all her uh, other little girlfriends were wearing these uh, leather boots. She said they were probably pleather boots, but they were these knee-high boots that laced all the way to the top, and they were kind of expensive, so this was the only Christmas present that Cheryl was really wanting that year, even asking her parents for that year. And as uh, Things led up to Christmas. Cheryl kept noticing different uh, new presents appearing under the tree, and she would go check them out. She was sizing up those boxes to see which present could hold uh, a pair of those boots. And she would shake them, and she would rattle them. Anyway, Christmas Day came, and they're getting ready to open presents, and Cheryl had already scoped out everything. She knew exactly which box and present had to be those boots. It was this uh, present that was wrapped in this shiny foil paper, and she grabbed it first. She didn't want to act too excited about it. She wanted to kind of show some humility there. She didn't just start ripping into it automatically, but she was excited. Her expectations were way up here. And then her mom starts kind of giving her some hints like, you really need to appreciate these 
because you've wanted these for a long time. You really need these. And anyway, she finished unwrapping her gift. She took the lid off the box. And lo and behold, tucked neatly in this box were socks and underwear. <laughs> Not boots, but socks and underwear. I'm sure we could all, or many of us can relate to that. How many got socks and underwear for Christmas growing up? Uh, some of us, yeah, it's, one, it's something that you might need, but you didn't necessarily want it. And then your mom would say, oh, by the way, Santa got you those. It's like pass the buck to Santa, kind of blame Santa for uh, the misfortune. Anyway, I remember getting socks and underwear for Christmas. My brother and I could always look forward to getting some tidy whities and some tube socks every Christmas. And what was terrible was when your mom, after you unwrapped them, she'd say, well, go try those on to make sure they fit. And I'm like, Mom, I'm 25 years old. I think they'll fit. Some presents are just like that. You might need them, but you really don't want them. You might need them, but you're not all that excited about them. Well, that's my wife Cheryl's Christmas story. But today, I want to talk about the first and the real Christmas story. The real Christmas story being Jesus and how he was given to us as a gift. And even though we, we need him, it seems like so many people are still looking for something else. So I want to bring out two points today. I want to ask really two questions. Number one, when did Christmas begin and why did Christmas begin? Let me start with the first one. When did Christmas actually begin? You know as well as I do, if you're thinking about the Christmas story and you're thinking about the Bible, most of our minds immediately go to the book of Luke. And I'll have to admit, I think Luke does the best job of presenting the uh, picture of Christmas, paints the prettiest picture of Christmas. And Luke is a doctor. He's a phys physician. So um, he's a scholarly guy. I mean, he gives more detail than the other gospel writers. He gives historical accounts of things that the others don't. Uh, for instance, he, he was the one that said, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Luke also emphasized Christ's humanity. He also talked about Mary and Joseph's journey to, the, uh, to Bethlehem. He talked about the birth of Christ. He talked about the angel's announcement to the shepherds in the field. Talked about the shepherds uh, showing up at the stable. Even Jesus' childhood was mentioned by Luke. And it's the most read uh, story when it comes to the Christmas season. But I'm not going to start with the book of Luke today in our series. I'm going to pick it up in the book of John. We're going to see what John has to say about the Christmas story because I believe John really takes us back to the beginning of Christmas. The very beginning of Christmas. Before Bethlehem, before the conception, before the pregnancy, really before time and space, he takes us all the way back to in the beginning, God. Look what it says in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is using the word, Word here, as a reference to Jesus Christ. And he wants to make sure everybody knows. He's emphasizing that Jesus just isn't another prophet. Jesus is God in the flesh. As the Bible says, He is Emmanuel, God with us. So he says, in the beginning was the Word. That simply means that Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been here. And then he says the Word was with God. That means that Jesus was right alongside God when God was speaking the whole universe into existence. And then he says, and the Word was God. Think about this. You could substitute that word, Word, and put in its place the name Jesus. And listen to how this scripture sounds. In the beginning was Jesus, 
And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. John takes it a little bit further in verse 2. It says, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. This whole story of redemption takes place in a garden, and it begins with a tree. And I'm not talking about a Christmas tree that you get at a Christmas tree lot or an artificial tree you get at Walmart. I'm talking about about a tree that's set in the Garden of Eden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And think about the garden for just a minute where Adam and Eve lived. It was their home. It was a paradise. It was a place with such beauty you couldn't even describe it. And best of all, there was no sin. No sin in the Garden of Eden when it started. No sin, no guilt, no shame that followed that sin. And there was only one restriction in that garden, only one. They were forbidden to eat of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve could eat anything else in that garden they wanted except for the forbidden fruit on that tree. Well, as you, as well as I know, we, we all know, there's something about people. It's something about our human nature that we are drawn to the forbidden. Amen? We're attracted to things we're not supposed to be attracted to. We look at things we're not supposed to look at. It's like, I'll just take a look. I won't touch. I won't do. I won't participate in that. Famous last words. Those were even the famous last words for Adam and Eve because you know how the story goes. They ate of that forbidden fruit. And because of their disobedience, sin that hadn't been there before entered into that garden, entered into the world. You might say their eyes were closed to heaven. They were closed to spiritual things and open to earthly things. And then suddenly, the worst of all, they found themselves completely out of fellowship with God. Before that, they had been in complete fellowship with God. But this all brings us to our actual first Christmas verse. It's the first mention of Jesus in the Bible, and you go all the way back to Genesis 3, verse 15. And this is where God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heart. You might say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. It doesn't. But God was saying to the devil, someone is coming. Someone is coming who's going to crush your head. You know, that might surprise you, but it truly is. It really is the first Christmas verse. It's what Christmas is all about. It's the reason that Jesus came to this earth in the first place. Now let me read, uh, jump on down to verse 14. It says, the Word, remember that means Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, this is not only the what of Christmas. This is the how of Christmas. It says the Word became flesh. Really, when you think about this, without that, this story has no meaning at all. And this is the main thing that separates Christianity from all the other religions in the world, is that God became flesh. God himself became flesh. There's actually a word that theologians use, and you hear it more during the uh, Christmas season. It's the word incarnation. Listen to how John Piper, a great man of God, describes the incarnation. He described incarnation as Jesus putting on our flesh and blood and becoming fully human. Jesus putting on our flesh and blood and and becoming fully human. 
You know, some people think that of Jesus as being half man, half God. That's not the way it is. God was fully man and fully God. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Some people think that Jesus was a man that became God. No, he was a God that became a man. When the scripture says the word became flesh, it does not mean that Jesus changed from what he already was and morphed into something else. It does not mean that at all. It simply means that Jesus became something in addition to, in addition to what he already, already was. If you're tracking with me, Jesus became fully human while staying fully divine. He didn't give up one for the other. Jesus was God with skin on. Jesus was God as a person. So when it says he became man, it doesn't mean that he stopped being God. It doesn't mean that he ceased being God. Really, in becoming man, he didn't forsake his divine nature. He just added a human nature onto that divine nature. The whole thing is the Son of God did not have to choose between being God and being man. He didn't have that choice to make because he could be both at the same time. The Word became flesh. The Word became human. Think about this. Before there was a world, before there was a universe, before there was planets, before, before there was light and darkness, before there was anything else, we had the Godhead. We had God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were co-equal. They were coexistent together at the same time. So when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, he actually took on the form of a tiny baby boy. He actually took on human form. Almighty God moved into a human body. I think Philip Yancey probably described it best when he said this, Imagine for a moment becoming a baby again, giving up language and muscle coordination and the ability to eat solid food and control your bladder. Imagine God is a fetus. And on that day in Bethlehem, the maker of all that is took on the form of a helpless, dependent newborn. That's powerful. That's exactly what Jesus did. He left heaven. He left the comforts of heaven. He left the worship and the adoration of the angels. He left continual fellowship with the Father God. He left continual fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And he came down to this broken, sinful earth where we live in the flesh as a human being. He started out as a baby. He started out as a baby. He grew into an infant, uh, grew into an adolescent, grew into a teenager, uh, grew into a young man. Then he stepped up into the mission that he came for. Not that he wasn't always the Messiah and Savior, but he stepped up to fulfill that role. And it was a process. It didn't just happen. He was born as a baby, grew up to be the Savior that went to the cross. And keep in mind the whole time, the Bible says, yet he was without sin. Jesus was totally without sin. That phrase, the word became flesh. Let me stress the word became. Let me ask you, are you still becoming? And I mean that in a spiritual sense. Are you still growing spiritually? Is Jesus becoming bigger? Is he becoming greater in your life than ever before? If you can't say that, maybe I could say you're not growing spiritually. You're not becoming more in Christ. The truth is, when people saw Jesus, they could say, I'm looking at God. Let me ask you, when people see you, do they see any resemblance of Jesus? Do they see any resemblance of God in your life? Are you becoming more, are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you more like Jesus than you were in the past? And if not, 
Maybe it's because you're not becoming. Maybe it's because you're not growing spiritually. The second thing about Christmas is the why. Why in the world would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus leave the comforts of heaven and come down to this pain-filled world as a baby? I think the answer to that is my point. He wanted to identify with us in our struggles. He wanted to identify with us in all of our struggles. And I'm just thinking about Mary. When she found out that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, she probably thought, well, certainly this is going to come with some privileges, especially when it comes to the birth. She might have thought, well, maybe uh, God will make this a pain-free birth, a labor-free birth. Maybe he'll give me some kind of supernatural epidural to take away the pain. Because you're thinking, well, if you're doing this for God, surely it's going to be the top of the line on his part towards you. Yes, it was top of the line on his part toward us in a greater way than we can ever imagine. But I do believe with all of my heart that Mary felt the same pain that all the mothers that have ever given birth have felt because God, in his love for us, wanted to identify with us in our struggles. Think about Jesus. He wasn't born into a wealthy, prominent family at all. He was born into a poor family with a lot of struggles. The reason for that is God wanted to identify with us in our struggles. And think about Jesus. He didn't stay in the safety and security of heaven. He entered our world. He breathed our air. He shared our pain. He walked in our shoes. He lived our life and He died our death. He became one of us. He became one of us. And He came to join us in this human mess called earth. Jesus didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. So now when we pray to God... When we talk to God and we can be honest with Him and say, God, I'm really suffering here. I'm really uh, struggling here. He's going to look at us and He can say, He can say, I know what you feel like. I know what you're going through because I've been there. Maybe you're struggling financially today. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. In fact, the Bible says that He had no place to lay His head. You know what that means? Jesus was homeless. Maybe you have some family tension going on in your family, in relationships. And with the holidays coming, it's probably going to get worse. Jesus understood that too, because when he started his earthly ministry, none of his own brothers even believed in him. Or maybe you had some friends that you thought were going to be good friends. You trusted them, and they wronged you. They hurt you in some way. Jesus can definitely identify to that one. He had his best friend betray him with a kiss. He had all of his other friends abandon him when he needed them the most, in his darkest hour. I believe he came into this world the way he did, so that he could look at us and he could say to us, I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. In fact, look at Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 15. It says that he is able to sympathize with us. That means he's able to understand what we're going through, because he's already been through it. I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to my heart. To know that anything I'm going through or anything I will go through, Jesus has already been through it. And He will take you and me through it. The second reason He came is to rescue the lost. To rescue the lost. You know, over the past 50 years, you and I have seen many, many incredible rescue missions in our world that just take your breath away. One that stands out to me is the 19, in 1970, the Apollo 13 mission, space mission. 
I mean, that, that space mission, maybe you didn't see it, maybe you've seen the movie, the Apollo 13, where these astronauts on this space mission, their craft got in trouble, their crew got in trouble. Um, everybody thought they were going to be lost in space forever. They were running out of oxygen, and miraculously, they were rescued and brought back to Earth. It was a miracle. There was another one I remember in Midland, Texas, where these kids were playing uh, hide-and-go-seek out in the backyard, and this little 18-month-old girl, Jessica, Jessica McClure, fell into a 15-inch diameter well and fell 20 feet and got stuck in that well. You probably remember, many of us remember that. The rescuers worked for 60 hours to try to get her out of that, and the whole world was glued to their TV sets, praying and hoping and wishing that she would be rescued, and she was, miraculously. There's a lot of stories like that, but why are we drawn to these type of stories? Maybe it's because deep down in our souls that we really know that we're helpless, that we're hopeless, that we're in need of rescuing. And the good news, people, is today that that rescue is available to all of us, that Jesus came to this earth to rescue you and me. Look what it says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to what? To save sinners. He came to save sinners. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus spells out his rescue mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I believe there came a time when the Father looked at the Son and said, the only way that these sinful beings are going to find peace with me and are going to find forgiveness and be restored to me is by a perfect sacrifice. What did God do? He didn't give up on us. In fact, He went into His rescue mission plan. His plan was to save us from the consequences of our wrongs, of our sins, to restore us into a relationship with Him. And He knew we couldn't do it for ourselves. He knew we couldn't reach up to heaven, so He reached down to us. He sent us a rescuer. And Jesus is the name of that rescuer. I heard a story about a grandfather who walked into the house one day and he saw his... Uh, young grandson jumping up and down in his playpen, screaming at the top of his lungs, wanting to get out of that playpen. And when the grandfather saw him, he walked over to the playpen, and, and the little boy reaches his chubby little arms and hands up to the grandpa and says, Papa, out, Papa, out. He wanted to be taken out of the playpen. Well, naturally, the grandfather reaches down and starts to pick his grandson out of the playpen. But the mother's little boy came around the corner and said, No, Grandpa, uh, you can't do that. He's being punished, he's got to stay in there. Well, him being a grandpa, didn't know what to say or what to do, but he wasn't going to challenge the authority of the mother. Let me just say this. Love found a way. Let me tell you today, love is always going to find a way. That grandfather knew that he couldn't take the grandson out of the playpen, so he got in the playpen with the grandson. I think that's the best illustration. Yeah, it's simple, but it's the best illustration of what Jesus did for us. He climbed into this ugly, sinful, painful world with us. He didn't take us out. He climbed into this world with us. You realize the purpose of his birth was his death? Do you realize the purpose of the manger was the cross? That was Jesus' whole purpose of coming to this earth. It was for you and me. It was for humanity to rescue us. So when Jesus died on that cross... He was a sinless sacrifice. He had never sinned. He was perfect. So his death paid for our sins. 
So His death blotted out the wrath of God and made us able to stand blamelessly before Him and able to spend eternity with Him. He opened that door of salvation to everyone that would call upon His name. You know, I see this as Jesus, when He hung on that cross, He took one of His hands and He took the hand of the Father God. And with the other hand, He took the hand of humanity and He brought us together. He brought God and man together by His sacrifice. That's a love that we can't even imagine. So let me say today, no matter how checkered of a past you have, no matter what kind of sin you have going on in your life, Christ invites you to come to Him just as you are. He's not saying, go get cleaned up. He's saying, come to me just as you are. There's no preconditions other than a sincere desire to be forgiven. And I guarantee you, because we serve a loving and a faithful God, if you have a desire to be forgiven and to be restored to the Father, all you have to do is come to Him. You'll be restored. You'll be saved. And here's the thing, we're all homesick for God, whether we realize it or not. I believe the very minute that Adam and Eve sinned in that garden and were thrown out of their home in that garden, I believe that's why there's been a homesickness deep down within our souls. It's been there from that moment. Yeah, we've tried to replace it with a lot of other things, material possessions, relationships, entertainment, drugs, alcohol, or whatever. But everyone that's ever been born was born with a God-sized void in their life. And only God Himself can fill that void. The Bible's full of examples of people, time after time, chasing after the wrong things, trying to fill that void. And maybe the better news is that God is even more homesick for us. And at its core, that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about a loving God, a heavenly Father that left heaven came to this earth as a baby, and finally made his way to the cross. Cross, Mission accomplished. The gift of Christmas is free, but it wasn't free to our God. It cost him the death of his one and only Son. And because of that, he made salvation available to anyone that would call upon his name. Anyone that wants it. So let me ask you today a very important question. Right where you're at. Do you have eternal life? Do you know Jesus? Have you made Him Lord and Savior of your life? You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to guess. You can know today. No one knows how long that door of salvation is going to be left open. I mean, we live in a very fragile world. Any of us could die unexpectedly today. So why wait? And I also believe that there are so many signs in our world today that the second coming of Christ is getting closer and closer. God wants lost people to be found and to be rescued before it's too late. And we as followers of Christ have to stay faithful to that task to show the love of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus to the world around us. It's our job. But as I close today, when you look around your world, and everything seems to be so chaotic, so dark, and falling apart. And this world's trying to fill your heart with so much fear. Let me give you some encouraging words. Don't let it. Because our God is still in control. He said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He would never abandon us. And even when we forget about Him, He makes us a promise. He'll never forget about us. 
That's the real message of this whole season, this Christmas season. It's not about the presence we find under the tree. It's about His presence, E-N-C-E, in our lives, in our heart. Have you allowed Jesus to take up residence in your heart? Have you allowed His presence to come in? It's so simple. We make it hard, but it's so simple. I'm thinking if Jesus went through all I've just described to get to us, how about we just reach to Him? Be like that little boy in the playpen. Amen? Just reach for God today. Open your heart. Pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I open my heart to You. I ask You to come in and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I thank You, Lord God, for doing all that You've done. Coming so far for me. Father God, I'm stepping towards You today. I want You to be my Lord and the Savior of my life. I surrender it all over to You today, Lord Jesus. I thank You for saving me. I thank You for dying upon that cross. And I thank You for raising again from the dead so that I could live in a newness of life today and forevermore. And Father God, I pray that You would help us all to realize the wonder of Christmas, the true wonder of Your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Let us treasure in our hearts, Lord God, today and forever the greatest gift ever given. Lord, help us, not only at Christmas time, but every day of our lives to shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ into the world around us. If you believe that and prayed that with me, say amen with me in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Uh, We'll see you again next week. Have a wonderful week.